Welcome to the Driven Woman Podcast, where we're on a mission to empower women with the mindset, tools, and strategies so that they can lead powerfully and authentically in order to make a massive impact on this world. I'm your host, Sophia Bryan. So, Driven Woman, today my guest, uh, climate change and the impact it is having on our environment, particularly the ocean, is something she's very passionate about. As a diver, the ocean is where she's lucky to spend most of her weekends now. In London, she worked as a project manager focused on sustainable infrastructure, delivery for projects in London and Cambridge, and she did a short stint in Singapore. She also worked with the Environment Agency to support future proofing of their flood risk program based on climate change modeling and sustainable urban drainage principles. That was a mouthful. (laughs) She is currently the Blue Economy Consultant at the Branson Center of Entrepreneurship in Jamaica. She also supports the Commonwealth Climate Change Network, including training for young persons on climate change and providing support to small island developing states with climate change related negotiations. So, Driven Woman, please make welcome my guest, Asia Williams. Hi, Asia. Hello, morning, everyone. <laughs> Great to be with you today, Sophia. Yay! So, um, I'm happy that we have the opportunity to chat today. I'm going to give a short little backstory to how we met. Mm-hmm. So Asia yeah. and I met in London and uh, last year uh, when I was uh, serving as Jamaica Youth Ambassador to the Commonwealth, there was this big fancy pants meeting happening in London for all the Commonwealth countries and I was representing Jamaica as a youth rep. Also on that trip, as you, I think I've mentioned in probably episode one or two, I was running for chairperson of the Commonwealth Youth Council, which was a big deal at the time. And it was especially a big deal because a woman has never been the head of the organization, though it's, you know, fairly young. And Asia was one of my cheerleaders. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that I was so happy to ha- have at the time because it was a, you know, a very new space for me. Um, you know, people from all walks of life, all nationalities, all ethnicities, and so to know that there were, you know, there were women in the background cheering me on and encouraging me to do this thing, I was so grateful. And we've just been keeping in touch here and there on social media and things of that nature. So, so that's the backstory. Um, and I think you enjoy our chat today. So Asia, you know that I typically start off my interviews um, based on, you know, the ones you've heard so far by asking mm-hmm. my guests to tell me about their upbringing, where they're from and what was life like as a child. Okay. So, well, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago and I grew up in London um, and yeah, so now I live in Jamaica. So if I just tell you a bit about my childhood, you know, uh, being born in Trinidad and then going to the UK, 
Um, it was a very interesting experience going to school in the UK um, where, you know, there's lots of resources and mm-hmm. abundance. And sometimes you see people taking it for granted. So yeah. very yeah. lucky that my parents were always, um, you know, heavily focused on me doing well academically. But they were, mm-hmm. I would say at the time, also very liberal, like um, as girls because I have a sister as well mm-hmm. growing up we were given so much freedom sometimes my my friends couldn't believe like oh you're so lucky you could do mm-hmm. um almost anything you want as long as there was one rule as long as you perform well in school so yeah. um we were very fortunate you know to um get all the opportunities um in the UK and I attended a, a really good university um I went to London School of Economics and I had a really professors then after I I, um, finished my university my undergraduate degree I went to Taiwan to live for a year and whilst I was there I I love traveling so actually I missed out a lot of traveling in between of that in between all of that but um so when I was in Taiwan I was kind of feeling like oh I want to do a master's but you know it's, it's very expensive so I was looking online at um, UCL and um, I saw this scholarship so I thought while I'm here you know um, I didn't want to go back to to London because I, I really hate the cold that's my, mm-hmm. my thing <laughs> that, that is not so secret because everyone knows that I've always wanted to, to live in a hot country um, yeah. <laughs> yeah so whilst I was in Taiwan I applied for this master scholarship and I was very fortunate I got the scholarship so that's what made me move back to London everyone Sophia jumping in here I wanted to let you know that UCL is actually the University College of London and if you do a quick google search you'll realize that it's actually one of the premier schools in London and I also wanted to highlight that um, LSE London School of Economics that Asia attended is also one of the premier schools in London And I'm highlighting this bit because, uh, you know, I could be wrong. And, uh, you know, of course, I'll invite Asia to to comment on this. But I feel like sometimes you want to to downplay the significance of our impact and um, of our achievement. There's absolutely nothing wrong in my mind with... um, acknowledging your hard work and acknowledging that you've attended a premier school so yes there uh may have been opportunities that other people haven't pursued but you decided to pursue them and you were successful and so i just wanted to throw that in for for my listeners do not ever feel some type of way because you have been able to to attend a premier school and it's not that you are fortunate, it's it's that you worked hard, you applied yourself. Uh, it may not have felt like hard work at the time um, because you're so brilliant. <laughs> but whatever the case is, you would have put in some serious hard work. So I had to put that in there. I didn't want to just glance over that because those are schools that it is uh, top tier. Right, so let's get back to the episode. What? Um, Look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I went back, I did my master's, and I thought, you know, as soon as I finish this master's, I'm gone again. But I got offered um, a really good job in London. 
So I ended up staying there and working there for five years. And now I'm in Jamaica. Mm. So yeah, I started coming back and forth to Jamaica for work two years ago. And I thought, you know, this this might be the perfect um, escape. <laughs> Finally live my life in the sun. <laughs> yeah, you. So one of the things that I'm so glad you mentioned, the fact that you love traveling. One of the things that came up when I was doing the kind of preliminary research to find out what are some of the things I'm going to be speaking to women about on this podcast, I realized that a lot of women, and this is not just, this. these are women from all over the world, their exposure to what's possible, I felt like it was kind of limited. You know, uh, a lot of the persons I spoke to, you know, whether it's in the US or the Caribbean or the UK or wherever, it's almost as though they kind of allowed themselves to remain in a sort of a box. And I really wanted to speak to persons who were able to say, hey, this is what I've done. This is a kind of lifestyle I've created for myself. And to let them know that, you know, there's more to life than just going to school, getting a job and, and, and just living. So I'm glad you mentioned, you know, taking that leap to go to Taiwan. I know you're in Jamaica and doing these fabulous things. So uh, what made you decide to go into the whole environmental protection space, blue economy, you know, all of these things are like buzzwords right now. Uh, how did you get yeah. into that space? Um, yes, yeah, so I guess that's one of the challenges, right, that, that sometimes these words, climate change, sustainability, mm-hmm. blue economy, they get co-opted and they become buzzwords. But for me, mm-hmm. it's really about making um, them a reality where people will understand them, the problems behind them and how we create solutions and, and solve some of the, you know, the big challenges facing our human society mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. our natural environment. So I, I really got into it because, as I mentioned, I was born in Trinidad and um, I used to go back and forth a lot. And sometimes my parents would take me snorkeling on the reef. This was before I learned to dive. And... Um, now if I go back there it's just so damaged it's heartbreaking Mm -hmm. like sometimes Mm -hmm. now when I dive I think you know should I stop diving because it's very damaged the coral reefs have been at the forefront of the exposure to to climate change and ocean warming and acidification and overfishing and and Mm -hmm. even um, you know like waste pollution so my passion really stemmed from that you know I really love nature and I thought um, if there's anything that I can work on, it has to be something that I'm passionate about and something that I can try and solve. I think you should always um, target something based on like, what is the problem and how do yeah. I create a solution rather than what's the money that I can make right, from it. Um, right. So that's really what has driven me, especially because, so actually, you know, I mentioned everything about school and, and my parents being quite free as long as I did well mm-hmm. at school, but I actually was super passionate about school. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really enjoy it, but one subject that I, I absolutely loved was geography, and that, oh. that really pushed me in the direction as well um, because because of my love for nature. So I was very lucky because I didn't love school, but I still did very <laughs> well at school, and that's yeah. why I I really um, think that um, school and education, whilst it's important, um, it's not necessarily for everyone. Like I know people that didn't do so well at school, but they thrive at business because they're more mm. minded. And so I think, you know, the, the world needs to adapt for all these different possibilities because everyone has something unique for them that, you know, 
we create these frameworks, but maybe education isn't the solution for them. They Mm -hmm. have something else to offer the world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I always said to people that I always love the non-academic aspects of school. I love the socializing. I love the networking. (laughs) I loved, um, you know, my clubs and societies and the leadership mm-hmm. development. I loved all of that. I just didn't like the academic part, but then I, it was okay because I was able to, to manage that side of things until I got to university. And then I realized that I can't just wing it mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd still be, the, be at the top of the class. So, yeah, exactly. That's the point <laughs> where you have to put your head down. That's yep, true. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> was there ever a moment where you were scared that you weren't able to pursue your passion because of the finances you speak you spoke about that but you know is was there anything that you had to do in particular to ensure that you were able to make a living out of this thing um Mm -hmm. Mm. so I would say I guess like if you work in the environmental the non-profit sector there's generally um quite low salaries or you know you have to do it out of passion so I would say a lot of um, when I was at university, what I did is other jobs that subsidized and, and provided me with the finance and the passion mm-hmm. to do the, yeah. the less well-paid or, or the free internships um, because, you know, I'm not from a super privileged background where I can just work for free right. um, once, I, once I graduated. So I had to kind of subsidize my work doing other paid work. Um, and I think eventually once you build your connections, actually – um, you know, you define yourself in this space and then people recognize your skills and then the opportunities come from that. But um, yeah, it's a shame that the world is set up where a lot of things where you're producing social and environmental good, uh, when, mm-hmm. you're, when you're starting off, it's very low paid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like it's up to professionals like you who are um, kind of uh, having a new perspective. I don't think that people, I think people are doing good work um, to make mm-hmm. the world a better place. They should be among the, the highest paying. And I think it has a lot to do with their own perspective or perception of the work that they're doing. And I think, you know, people like you are going to change the narrative around, you know, whether non-profit related type things uh, should be low paying um, mm. and I, yeah, I remember seeing a post that you made on Facebook a few months ago about saying no to free work. And I was like, oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> someone is speaking about this, um, especially for women. And I wanted to have, you know, what are your thoughts around that, um, this whole free work? Uh, yeah, you know, I completely agree. When I was in um, the UK, um, and luckily, you know, at university, I had um, grants and, as I mentioned, my scholarship and mm-hmm. I had paid work. So it enabled me to do a lot of this free work that I was passionate about. Um, but I always remember thinking, like, what if you didn't have these mm-hmm. opportunities to subsidize yourself like I had? What if, especially because a lot of the people that I worked amongst whilst I was doing it were extremely privileged you know Mm -hmm. their their parents were all quite wealthy um and it just made me realize you know this this space could become very elitist if um, there isn't a way to break down these barriers and I I really think especially for women we should not do free work because you know we look at history we've done 
centuries of free work and actually Mm -hmm. um, we're still underpaid relative to men. You know, there's a gender pay gap in almost every society. And it's something that I've always been um, quite active about speaking out against, um, even in the companies that I've worked for, um, to bring up discussions to say, you know, we should do gender pay audits. Uh, what does this mean, especially for women of colour, because you yeah. know, they've got a double disadvantage as well. Mm-hmm. You know, being in the UK, um, it's not just um, a gender disparity, but also a racial disparity. So yeah. I think when you become successful, it's really important to speak out for others and make sure that you're opening the door for other people as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think too, on the whole subject of gender pay gap, a lot of persons who who are probably responsible for the pay gap that exists will say that nothing of the sort exists uh, because a lot of the salary that a person gets, it boils down to negotiation a lot of the times. Mm. And unfortunately, not many women are taught that whatever is given to you first, typically uh, they can go a lot higher than that. And Mm -hmm, so you need to recognize that there is a value that you are bringing to the table and you need to uh, assess your value based on what the market says that you're worth. And I feel like not enough women do that sort of legwork or that sort of groundwork. And they don't even know because I didn't even know that, look, hey, you're supposed to negotiate your salary. Like you're expected to do it. There is room for it. And I think yeah, we're, we're 100% in- I agree with you, you know. So my first uh, graduate job, when I entered, I just, you know, they called me up. They said, we've offered you a job. And I was like, yes, you know, I'm graduating with a job. They told mm-hmm. me the salary at that time. It seemed like a decent amount of money for me. I said, you know, I signed the letter, accepted the offer, and I didn't negotiate either. And it's only when um, we all joined the program, so um, the graduate program at the time, um, they, I think they took on 100 people and 70 of them were men and 30 mm-hmm. were women. So that was the first yeah. thing when I walked into the room. And I think yeah. I was the only woman of colour as well. So when I walked into the room, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And then and when we started having these conversations, I realised that actually some of the guys were on higher salaries than us yeah. because they had negotiated. And <laughs> yes. I never even thought about mm-hmm. it. So then at that point, you know, every salary review I used to negotiate and yeah. I used to get tips from the guys on, yeah. on how to do it because also there's research that shows even when women negotiate they're kind of low balled and yeah. I mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I experienced that I remember one time I was trying to negotiate and the guy um immediately like he started off with saying oh we're already paying you too much to try and shut down the conversation mm-hmm. and I, I was thinking you'd never say that to a guy you'd never say oh we already pay you too much so yeah constantly even with like bonuses or, or entry salaries always negotiate yeah hey 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 Sophia here jumping in again I wanted to make this quick little plug uh, to let you know that I have launched my Driven Woman Fast Track Coaching. So if you are one of those persons that needs support in any area of your leadership journey or in your business development process, I am able to support you with that. Or if you are struggling with negotiation, those are some of the things that we can address 
in this opportunity to work with me for seven weeks. You will receive a discovery call, two strategy calls, and four accountability calls. And if you go to sophiabryan.teachable.com forward slash courses, uh, you'll see all the relevant details uh, as it relates to the investment and all that good stuff. Or you can simply email me at sophia at sophiabryan.com. So it's sophia at sophiabryan.com is where you can shoot me an email with uh, an inquiry stating, hey, I'm interested in, in working with you and I'll send you the relevant details. Or you can simply go to sophiabryan.teachable.com. So uh, I look forward to those of you who will take advantage of this offer and this opportunity to work with me one-on-one -on -one while it's available. All right, let's get back to the episode. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm so glad you were able to bring that up. Uh, I don't know how I'd re react if someone were to say to me, we're already paying you too much. So kudos to you for mm -hmm. not shrinking <laughs> after hearing a remark like that, because <laughs> I feel like my confidence has only been boosted maybe for the past two years or so. I've been, you know, a lot more comfortable negotiating things and asking for more. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm And also you should... You should always find like people that support you within yeah. your company or the space mm -hmm. that you're operating because at that time I was really lucky to have, um, I think she was one of the few female directors at the time and I was coming under her business unit so she yeah. really backed me as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of in the, the middle where, you know, is it purely good business to, to pay as little as possible or do private companies or even public companies, do they also have an obligation out of fairness to be reasonable, you know, um, you know, so, but my thing is, you know, to avoid that personal dilemma, I always encourage persons to, to negotiate. There's always more on the table to ask for and ask for it. And wherever I can spread the message, <laughs> mm. I spread the message and I'm so glad we were able to, to bring that up. The yeah. other question I wanted to ask you, so a lot of persons like myself um, are, you know, are thinking about living abroad, um, mm -hmm. I have lived in another country for a reasonable amount of time. Uh, so I wanted to, to get from you, uh, what are some of the things that you had to do in preparation for your big move to Jamaica? Uh, were there any connections that you had to make? You know, what, what was the whole process like, if there was a process <laughs> yeah. and um, some lessons learned in, your, in making that transition that you can share with the listeners? So yeah, I have um, moved countries before and then so moving to Jamaica, it's a bit more familiar because it's the Caribbean, mm -hmm. you know, but I would say always, always establish a network. So even before you get somewhere that you know people that you can reach out to yes. in terms of work connections, life, you know, people that you want to socialize with because um, you don't want to be alone. You want to have friends, um, and I would say always um, put yourself in the mindset that everything is like learning because, you know, when you live somewhere, everything is familiar. You know how to 
purchase um, the best product at the best price, mm-hmm. you know, how to find an apartment, to buy a car, all these types of things. But when you enter a new environment, it's all foreign to you. So I would just say everything is a learning opportunity. Embrace it, enjoy it, and you'll have like the first six months is so exciting and loving <laughs> yes. everything. And you're like, wow, you know, I made the best move ever. And then after a while, you know, you become familiar and it's home. Yeah. And you have to remember as you transition into that familiarity, um, yeah, just to, just to appreciate and embrace it all. And also it, it feels like a new sense of achievement. Like mm-hmm. when I first moved here, I was paying like, or, or people were trying to charge me, I was just like, $1,000 for a pineapple. And I was like, no, that's what? too much. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, that's too much, guys. Oh I'm not my God. And I mean, your <laughs> accent isn't even that, you know, strong. I think you could pass for a Jamaican. Like the way how you speak, you could oh, yeah. pass for someone that was born here in, in Jamaica. Yeah. And then you spend like a small amount of time in the UK. I mean, really? And when people look at me, they think that I'm Jamaican until I open my mouth. Yeah, yeah. But so, but now I pay like one fifty for a pineapple. So yes. Like, you know, like I, I now I drive around without needing a sat nav. Nice. I, I just feel like so happy. You know, I've learned so much, but in a non-traditional way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just great, and I would say, um, make yeah, make connections, not just in. Like, I know a lot of people, they move somewhere and they make their expat community their bubble. But, mm-hmm. like, I love hanging around with my Jamaican friends because yeah. then I get the authentic experience. And it makes it even more home. Like, I feel very at home in Jamaica already, but it makes it more at home to have, like, the personal local connections. Yeah, yeah. And for me, when I was living in, um, when I was living in D.C., uh it was so exciting it was so great to make the comparisons between life in Jamaica and life in DC and it sort of allowed me to shift my world view and made me realize that hey some of the issues that we're having back home you know it had a lot to do with our mindset and our attitude towards those issues because they're non-issues in a place like America and yeah you know first world third world talk and all of that but I think a lot of the things that are smooth in other parts of the world have a lot to do with mindset so and I found that it was it was so much better for more for me and enriching when I engaged the natives yeah as well appreciate the culture of where you are because Jamaica is incredible for this like uh, the one thing that I have learned in these past few months is the thankfulness and the appreciation appreciation like this idea of you know gratitude is a must it's yes like everyone yes. even people that have much less you know they're very thankful for life and forward thinking you see them in the morning they're happy and optimistic and I really that's one I think that's the thing that I cherish the most I really appreciate that mindset because in the UK and I'm still part of UK WhatsApp groups sometimes Mm -hmm. we complain about small things not realizing you know we are privileged and we have things relatively easy and it's it's just such a different mindset where people are positive here and Mm -hmm. incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, too, I, I'm imagining that being in Jamaica where uh, most people look more like me and you, it's it's almost like of a, this cultural immersion and you're like, oh, wow, you know, <laughs> this is where my people came from kind of a vibe. <laughs> 
Seriously, this is the most amount of um, minorities, which are now majorities that I've yeah. worked with. Um, and like since I've been here, I must say I have not walked into a single meeting room where I'm the only woman. Jamaica's mm-hmm. gender balance is fantastic. Yeah. It's something that I, I said, you know, when I'm here a year, I'm going to write about it and share mm-hmm. it with the companies that I've worked in the yeah. UK. Because for me, it was the norm walking into a meeting room and being the only woman. Now, if there was another woman, definitely the only woman of color. So this is mm-hmm. just incredible to be able to yeah. work with so many women and have their, you know, their really intelligent ideas shared and, you know, they speak confidently and there's no one that kind of shuts them down. It's, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. And I feel like uh, being a Jamaican, I definitely feel like it's uh, been one of my advantages being born a Jamaican because we're known for being confident people. And I feel like whenever I go into a space uh, where I'm like the only person of color. Uh, mm. or only female and I open my mouth and people are just blown away by it and I think a lot of people they've even said it to me like how are you so comfortable and how do you know that what you're speaking makes sense I'm like um I'm Jamaican mm-hmm. hello yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I I'm, can I know my stuff yeah. <laughs> and like I've spoken to persons even from the UK who speak about the you know racial tensions though mine you but they feel it and I say to persons you know it's almost as though I'm oblivious to those mm-hmm. kinds of reality when I go realities when I go into their spaces because I'm not thinking about it because of the experience I had in Jamaica where I knew that I needed to own my space and own my voice. And so yeah. even if those things are happening in the back, it's as though they have no impact on me. So I'm really happy I was born in Jamaica and, you know, all of that yeah. confidence thing that we Jamaicans have, I got some of that. So Yeah, that's yeah. great. And there's, there's such a respect for women and mothers. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it is really good. Like when uh, we talk about gender equality and progressiveness, yeah. I feel like the Jamaican case study is not shouted about enough mm-hmm. in the world, but mm-hmm. people need to know. Like it's, it's really fantastic. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I feel like and yeah, more case studies need to be shared. Um, definitely more of the positive side. Um, because we're often used as the premier example. Well, the Caribbean as a whole is often used as a premier example of, of gender equality and mm. that good stuff. So Asia, I am loving our conversation and of course all good things come to an end at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and so before you go, I want to ask you. What keeps you driven? What keeps you motivated? Is there a story in your life experience that um, has motivated you to become the person that you are now and to just, you know, keep on living this full life? I'd love for you to share that. Yeah, so for me, um, obviously my passion is climate change and the environment and tackling this problem. And for me, I feel it's like we're at a time where, um, we know the problems that we're facing. We understand the challenges, but we are the generation that has um, a chance to do something about it. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a short window. So that really keeps me driven and focused. Yes, that, yes, you know, we have yes. this opportunity to, to do things right so that, you know, in the future, the next generation won't say like, oh, but you knew this was happening. Why didn't you do anything about it? you know rather they'll say like thank you for putting things in place Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm, to provide mm -hmm. the solutions and to make our quality of life better 
you know, because that's the whole premise around sustainable development. Yeah. And that's something that I really believe in. Um, and then also because, you know, I've been provided with amazing opportunities. You know, I spoke about my life in London. I've had mm-hmm. so many amazing people that have supported me, teachers, um, men, managers, mm-hmm. um, directors that just you know gave me opportunities my my parents of course um, my sister she's older than me she's a great role model so so many people have you know paved the way for me and I would like to continue um, on that journey but also Mm -hmm. creating space for other people to have that opportunity as well yeah I love that and uh, you know you didn't say this but I really want to just highlight this Uh, um Look, it's one thing to be in a space where there is abundance and then there's another another thing to actually embracing that abundance and tapping into it. And I feel like, you know, more young people need to be applauded for actually embracing the world that they're in, you know, rather than complaining about, oh, you know, I'm a person of color and I'm a woman and the odds are stacked against me. While those may be mm-hmm. things may be true to an extent, you've opted to make yeah. the use of I your environment, say, you know? You know what? Where we live at a time where um, people are understanding that diversity is so important. You know, McKinsey did a report that showed that ethnically diverse companies are more profitable, gender diverse mm-hmm. companies are more profitable. People are understanding the importance of diversity and also like you know it's just important to be yourself and be true to who you are you know don't care about what other people think because you can't live your life for other people you know you have to be bold and and take the choices that you want and you know access opportunities don't be afraid to do something because think about it in 10 years time do you really want to look back and say oh I wish I did this Mm -hmm. rather than say like oh I did it and I learned this yeah yeah wow yay I love this and I'm so excited to share this episode um with my listeners we we've had such a rich conversation um when I start when I hit the record button I never really know for sure where things are gonna go and I'm so glad that we were able to speak about things that are really going to add value to everyone who listens to this episode so thank you for joining me and that's okay Uh, no problem yeah 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 and keep being awesome keep doing great things thank you you too yeah thanks for your podcast they're amazing I love listening to them and yeah they're very inspiring for me as well yay all right thank you so much it was my absolute pleasure to have you join us for this episode of the Driven Woman podcast. Be sure to visit sophiabryan.com for my complimentary platform masterclass. In this masterclass, I show you the key steps to strategically share your unique message, even if you're scared to put yourself out there. Leave us a rating on iTunes if you loved this episode. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Driven Woman Podcast and Driven Woman Show on Twitter. Until next time, stay driven.